Hi, everybody. Welcome again to another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. It's episode number 41 here during the pandemic. I'm your host, Phil Huber. Today, I'm joined by the usual cast of suspects, John Doyle and Logan Whitmer. And today's topic is bucket list furniture projects. Hope you enjoy the show. This episode of the Shop Notes podcast is brought to you by Woodsmith Magazine. Woodsmith Magazine has been the trusted source for all your woodworking information for over 40 years. From tips and techniques to furniture projects to shop projects, you'll find it all at Woodsmith Magazine. Subscribe today at woodsmith.com. All right. So I feel like when we talked about the idea of bucket list projects, and we discussed this quite a bit in our pre-podcast meeting, Mm-hmm. Of um, there's like projects I think that bucket list projects that you really want to build for the sheer challenge or accomplishment of it, and then yeah. there's bucket list projects that actually work in your own home, like stuff that you need to build or you're gonna kick the bucket because <laughs> somebody in your house has been asking for it. <laughs> The bucket. Right. Literally, I think I've completed the bucket list furniture. Right, I've got my bucket chair right here next to me. Yeah, for those of you who aren't watching on the radio, John made some, made a little playset table and a couple of chairs out of five-gallon buckets, and uh, those were featured in a video and on a tip in the magazine. You can find that on our YouTube channel. Yeah. So he's done. He's out. I'm done. Yep. Yep. No Bucket more. List done. Yeah. Well, I'm all, well. So then there's three. Like you need to build this, or you'll kick the bucket. Right. Um, there's a challenge project that would, you know, really show off your skill or Lack that you'll of. skill that you'll have at some point down the line. Sure. And then there's something, you know, but does that project necessarily fit in your home? Mm-hmm. You know, okay. like if it was, if, I don't know, five or six years ago, Woodsmith did a big, tall dining hutch slash buffet that painted one. I always thought like oh, a yeah. big, large hutch like that would be a fun project to do. Would it work in my house? Absolutely not. <laughs> There's just no space for it. And we just don't have the, you know, ours is a mid-century house. You know, so kind of a countryish style, not in a bad way, countryish, but mm-hmm. just there's no space in it in our house that would fit that because our sure. dining room and living room just kind of are one big room. Yeah. So, so are you saying that that would be one of your bucket list items? Yeah, I've always thought a big, a big imposing serving piece like that would be cool. Yeah, I can see that. I I would say that that would definitely fall under my don't have a place for it in the house. Like fun build, right? Yeah. Super fun build, but yeah, I don't have a space for it. I feel like that's something that would work well in like my grandparents' house. They have one, um, and it's 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 a terrible. They don't listen to this, so I don't feel bad saying this. It is a terrible cheap piece of furniture that's been there since I was little. So it's probably from like the seventies. Um, and it's particle board. You can tell looking at it that it's like printed red oak pattern. Right. Right. And my grandma has all her crystal and stuff in there. Like that would be fun. Like to, to build something to replace that for them. Now I don't, they're not gonna be their house long enough for me to, to do that, but no, I think that'd be fun. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one thing that I've thought of, um, you know, like a big, you know, another one that would be dependent kind of on the house would be a, a, like a library room, you know. With, oh, sure. You know, really cool bookshelves and that kind of stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah, big desk in it. Right. Like that, that would be cool. Yeah. With one of those rolling ladders. Sure. Sure. Do the rolling ladder. I mean, if you have a library in your house, you have to have rolling ladders, right? right. Yeah, I think uh-huh. so. Maybe a secret yeah. like bookshelf door thing uh-huh. with it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Right. All I like where you're going with this, John. Yeah. 
<laughs> going super swanky. This is like the eight-year-old in me coming out with like fireman's pole. <laughs> slide down, twisty slide. A little, <laughs> little like, bit of Harry Potter in there. Yeah. Reel it back in. Reel it back in. Yep. So. No, that, but that would be cool, you know. And that was, um, my wife and I looked at a house when we were first moving. We, when we first bought a house, we were looking at foreclosures. Uh, and we went and looked at one foreclosure that had a huge, like, library room in it. I'm like, this thing is four si- times the size of, like, the master bedroom. Like, the people that live here <laughs> must be, or lived here must be really into their books. But it was, like, all the terrible, like, golden, like, early 90s golden oak. Like, I was like, oh, like, you could have done something, like, rich and hearty, like, walnut or something. It or at least a walnut back. stain. Or at least, well, yeah, walnut stain on red oak. That's fine. I mean, it's not fine, but it's fine. <laughs> it would have been finer. Yeah, yes. Do you any bucket list tools? Like, like that you'd be like, oh, this would be really cool to build myself for use in my shop, but I don't think I'll ever get to it, or maybe I will sometime. Hmm bucket list tools I don't know we did uh, uh, shop notes did as part of I think it was issue 120 was an infill smoothing plane mm-hmm. that was steel sided that was riveted together and uh, walnut infill kind yep. of a Norris style and I, I actually have that plane in, back in my office, but uh, I've always thought that that would be kind of a fun one to do. The only thing that I think that I would change on it is having some kind of a blade, blade adjuster on it, because that one we didn't. We just went with the standard, you know, just kind of tap it which way, which I know some people prefer, whatever, not me. I like having Some people adjuster. are wrong. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Or more patient than I am. Yeah. Yeah, which, I mean, you can buy the Norris Adjuster kit, so that'd be easy enough to do. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think it so. would be relatively simple to do. But So that would be that would be one. It's one of those things where it's like, I have planes. They work okay. Am I going to be able to make a plane that's going to work okayer? That it would be worth it? Or, I don't know. I think you'd be surprised. After yeah. building... After building these guys for the the magazine, I think yeah. you would be. I think you'd be surprised. Yeah. Well, and then I I was pretty satisfied with how well my shoulder plane turned out. You know, now mm-hmm. that I've been able to use it a little bit more on some projects, I'm like this. This works out okay. Yeah. So, that's so generally cool. my goal when I'm working in the shop. Is like, oh, it worked okay. Yeah. <laughs> Well, because, I mean, I've done a bunch of – it's one of those things where it's like you can build something, and just by its nature, it sort of is. But then there yes. are some projects that have to work also, you know, like doing it, making a tool. It, the tool has to perform. You know, it can look fantastic, but if it doesn't take a shaving or if the bed is slightly off angle or, you know, yeah. who knows what. Yeah. I mean, a shelf's a shelf, but right. the tool has a function. Yeah. So. Okay. So do you have any other bucket list projects that you would do then? Oh, you know, one of mine has always been uh, and will always be a grandfather clock. Uh, um, yeah. I, I love clocks. I love building clocks. Um, I don't own any of the clocks that I've built. Um, I've built probably a dozen, dozen and a half different clocks, and they've all been for gifts for people, um, like retirement gifts, anniversary gifts. It's just they seem to be a little symbolic to me as far as like, hey, it's an anniversary gift or it's a retirement gift. Like you've put in the time. Here's a clock. Har, hardy, har, har. Uh, you know. Uh, I see what you did. But, yeah, I know, right? Uh, but. I've always wanted to build a grandfather clock just because I love the like big imposing style of them. Um, sure. 
I don't like um, the often over the top design of them and they don't yeah. work in our house. Like in um, some people in my house would not allow it in here because they're too gaudy. You know what I right. mean? Uh, not saying who that is, right. uh, but um, we have one in the magazine that just went to the printer that will be hitting issues here in the next couple of weeks uh, that I really like the design of. Um, and I think it would work well somewhere in my house. Maybe the guest bedroom. I don't care. That's fine. Uh, but I would love to build one of those. Sure. Um, just because it's kind of like the, the, I know Brian didn't like this word, but it's the, like the Mac daddy of the clock world, right? <laughs> <laughs> like that's it's how the, the kids are saying it. <laughs> that's how the kids, that's what the kids say. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that would be one of my, one of them. Um, I would really like to build a green and green piece. So maybe a green and green grandfather clock would be cool. That'd be cool. You know? um, I could see that. That would be, you know, a tall case clock like that would be a lot of fun. You know, we've done yeah. a couple. We've done several of them. Two of them before this one that Chris just designed yep. had mechanical movements. And I think it would have to have, for me, would have to have a mechanical movement. It would be, and and that would be one of the large um, obstacles that I would have to overcome because mechanical movements are expensive. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, They're you like get three grand a piece or something like that. Yeah, you get, you know, the cheap ones are several hundred dollars, and you get into thousands of dollars. Yeah. Um, so it'd have to be it'd have to be a piece that uh, everybody's on board with. Um, so that would be. You know, probably a grandfather clock in the green and green style. Um, there is some other stuff I would like to um, do project-wise that isn't necessarily um, furniture. Well, one of the bucket list items that I need to complete soon or I will kick the bucket is a final dining room table for us. Um, that's been on the... I mean, I feel like I've been saying that since I started at Woodsmith, um, which has probably been the case. Um that is uh, one that absolutely needs done. And I'll, with that will be a set of chairs, which I feel like I need to build a set of chairs. I hate chairs. I mean, chairs just, <laughs> I think, I think Phil, you've said it best where it's like, you know, one, maybe it was you that said it. It's like building the table is one thing. That's one project. Building eight chairs is eight projects. Right. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it's oh, yeah. not just, building eight of one thing. I mean, they're each going to need their own fitting. I mean, it's very hard to get into a production style type chair uh, without fitting and fine tuning everything on each individual chair. So uh, that will be a long, long process. But I think we have a, a design that my wife likes and I like, and I think it's approachable. So I'm going to try that. Um, I would like to do some large turned pieces. And I mean, I've done some stuff that's in the 1824 uh, I think the platter I did for the TV show ended up being like 26 inches. Um, at some point, I would love to do like a David Mark style, big three and a half foot outboard turning project. It would probably be something like sculptural, I'm guessing. But I think that'd be fun. Turn the dining room table. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. That's what I need to do. Um, but yeah, I, you know, there's just so many projects that I would like to build just for the sheer joy of building them. Right. If I can get somebody just to pay for the materials and I'll build it for them. There you go. If I had the time. Yeah. <laughs> Let's backpedal a little bit. Yeah. If I had the time, yeah. um, you know, because there's, there's less that I would love to build. Um, just all boils down to time. Where are you, John? Um, yeah, I guess I'm kind of in the same boat as you guys. It's like, as far as our house right now, it's hard to build any bigger projects that would fit in here. I guess well, the main thing is I need to finish all the projects that have started before I kick the bucket. That would be like <laughs> a really good goal <laughs> first. But um, I don't, for me, it's like I get more excited about like wanting to build some of the funky machines that Chris Fitch has designed and like, uh, I don't know, like the, that, uh, router mortising machine or 
um, or even the folding workshop. It's like, I don't really have a need for it because I have a workshop, but just like building it would be cool. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. There are but, definitely projects that I see that mostly ones that we've done, just I'm totally biased. I get that. But, mm -hmm. you know, that I've seen in other magazines where it's like, I just really want to build that. Yeah. Yeah. I, and there's you, no and practical you, purpose for it. I'm going to yeah, have to either give it away or sell right. it almost as soon as I'm done with it. But mm -hmm. yeah, that's kind of a lot of like, I just want to do it. I want to see if I can do it, the challenge yeah. of it. And so that's what I mean, excites me, I guess. We're all, we're all what I would consider competent woodworkers, right? So there's pretty, uh, there's pretty much not anything we couldn't build, right? I mean, there would be some challenges to certain things, right? But like right. we're all competent. It all comes down to cutting parts to size and making them fit. Yeah, right. So, so I I get that John's like smirking, like he's seen me build stuff on the TV <laughs> not, show set before. I'm just thinking about yeah, I'm thinking about all the TV show stuff. It's like yeah, that sounds easy. <laughs> right. Sometimes we just run into challenges. Sometimes it always gets done. They get built. But, yep. You know, stuff happens. Decisions yeah. are made. So. <laughs> but things you know, are it's sad. one of those things. Yeah, it's one of those things. It's like it's all uh it's all the same basic steps just put together in a different way, right? For the most part. Um but it's just the 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 outcome is different and i think that's one thing that's kind of uh, that's one thing that's interesting and working to me right it's all you you give somebody you teach somebody four or five basic joinery techniques and they can build pretty much anything we've built right um but the application of them how they go together that's when you start to get into different designs of stuff um so yeah i mean flipping through different woodworking magazines you see a project you're like that is so cool i really want to build that for no reason other than just to build it I know I can build it. Yeah. But it's super cool. Like, let's yeah. just build it. Yeah. And that's then, the thing with, like, like those machines, too. It's, it's like most of it's just plywood parts glued together or, you know, MDF or, you know, nothing that, you know, it's not like hand-cut dovetails or anything for, for that kind of stuff. So it's not com overly complicated. It's just, you know, putting together part by part and just doing it and getting it to work at the end and so um, you know i i say it's all the same basic stuff then i'm sitting here thinking about those pub signs that steve just did i i backpedal a little bit because that's a little <laughs> yeah. it's more like do i have the patience yeah, that's exactly that? right <laughs> yeah and it would it. be do i have the patience yeah or the ability to execute it to a level where i would be satisfied with it right yeah you know because, you know, like last year for Christmas, I did all those spoons. Yep. And I thought for the most part, they turned out pretty well. But now, you know, you kind of go back and it's like, well, they could have been a little bit of this or a little bit of that or. Yeah. You know, but. But part of that is also like knowing when to stop, right? Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And... I have gone way past when to stop a number of occasions and have been dissatisfied and. Um, just recognizing like where where are being thoughtful about where that limit is like this is about my extent of my skills right now to continue to put time effort and exertion into this i'm not likely to get a much better outcome you know like the 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 payoff investment curve starts to <laughs> steer yeah. downward, you know. Yeah, it's an exponential like. <laughs> yeah, it's like I can make return. this. I can make this better, and then after this point, it's like eh, it's going to be about the same, or mm. I'm going to start going downhill. Yeah, yeah. Just stop picking at it. <laughs> that's that's. I was. I don't know what I was watching. Somebody was finishing something. They're like, "Hey, the secret to getting a really good finish is knowing when to stop." Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I get that. Yeah, because that one extra coat that looks really sounds like it's a really good idea. That's when you get all the runs. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I had that on a, a side table that I made. Uh, it was a craftsman style round top side table, and. This was when I was learning to apply water-based finishes better. So 
I made it out of cherry. So I put a coat of oil on it initially to give some color. Then once that was dry, I started putting on water-based finish to get the protection. And I had two coats on and I was two or three coats and I was, and they turned out really great. Super smooth, had a nice satiny, you know, I don't know, sheen is the right word to it. And I'm like, man, this is really going well. And I'm like, I should put on another coat. <laughs> that was the wrong idea. Cause I put that last coat on and for whatever reason, it was streaky and ridged and it's like I put it on with a corn planter. It just did not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've, yeah, I've done that before, but I've also done the opposite where it's like, you know, this doesn't like, ew. I'm going to say this and knowing that a lot of our listeners probably do not have spray capabilities like we have, but we have a pressure pot full of um, spray lacquer, pre-catalyzed lacquer. So a lot right. of our projects just get lacquer and a lot of our personal projects get lacquer too because it's there and it's easy, right? You just, you turn on the spray booth and you just spray. Uh, but I've had a couple of times where I've done the opposite where it's like I should stop or I, I apply a couple of coats and I'm like, this just feels like crap. I have to keep going because this just doesn't feel right. It feels nibby, you know, I've nibbed it. It just doesn't look very good. And then you get that one coat and when you come back and look at it, you're like, oh, my God, it's like glass. This is perfect. Like, yeah. I've had that happen, too. Uh, yeah. So not only can you go too far, there's sometimes where you do have to just go and keep going. Yeah. And the only way you know is to just try it, you know, and yeah. then yeah. use that to teach you on the next one. And I think that's part of something that I've learned in woodworking, too, is like, you know, understanding my own limits with a given project knowing that those skills aren't for that project, they're for the next project. Sure. Okay, so I guess when we pay, let's pay back off this. If, you know, we, we talked about bucket list projects, what are some, do you guys have a, like a bucket list technique or a bucket list a skill that you would like to learn before you kick the bucket? I'm 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 saying this like we're all gonna die tomorrow. Yeah, we're all young. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> well, I if mean, there's one thing that 2020 taught us, yeah. it's true. You know, and to be fair, we have we have listeners, we have readers, we have subscribers that range from 20 years old to 95 years old. You right. know, I mean, we have a vast variety, uh, a vast array of of listeners. So I'm saying this as uh, three people that are fairly young, right? You know, ranging from me in the early 30s to Phil in the not early 30s. <laughs> <laughs> but like, so I mean, we what I'm what I'm implying is we all have time to learn these skills. So what what is something Phil that you would like to learn and you will learn before you can no longer learn? Before I can no longer learn. Um... I guess the, the thing that I would like to, things that I would like to learn would be competent and confident hand cut joinery, whether it's a mortise and tenon or dovetails. You know, I, I've done dovetails before to varying degrees of success, but to me, it's always like every time I do them, it's kind of a crapshoot, you know, like. I can lay out some pretty awesome dovetails. It's just, you know, whether I can cut them or not. Um, I have the ability to cut them, but whether that actually happens, you know, so, but being able to, you know, cause there's some things that I do where it's like, they were intimidating or fraught techniques in the past where now mm -hmm. I just do it. And I know that I'm more than likely going to get the result that I want. I don't feel that if I'm doing, uh, hand cut tenons or sure. dovetails or something like that. Sure. So just the, the confidence to know that you can nail it every time, which is funny because I think that is a particular skill that if you don't do all the time, 
you fall out of practice. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Like if you talk to anybody that does hand cut dovetails uh, on a fairly regular basis. So if you have a project that requires 16 drawers that are all hand cut dovetails, you're going to hand cut them all. I mean, first of all, props to you. Second of all, almost every person will say, look at the difference between the first drawer and the last drawer. You know what I mean? It's one of those things that you always end up, you always right. end up looking better at the end. And that's, I've noticed that when I do hand cut dovetails, it's like if I'm doing a seminar on hand cut dovetails, you know, here, you know, locally in Des Moines or online one, I'll start a week ahead of time. Cause I know it's going to take me that long to get back into the groove to where I'm happy with them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, can I do them? Yeah. I just don't do them all the time. You know, right. like I have, ain't nobody got time for that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I know that there are some people that will do, um, I know popular woodworking a few years ago, part of their blog, they did like a dovetail a day challenge yep. for like a month. And uh, just to see what, you know, to see their skills increase, you know, and that's cool. I think that would be, that would be something that I should try. The part of it is, is that um, as weird as this may sound, I'm, I really love woodworking, but I don't get out to my shop every day, you know? Yeah. So it's exactly. like, there's a lot of things where, you know, you know, I manage it because I know that I'm not out here as much as I would like to be, you know? Yeah. So, but yeah, hand cut joinery. Another one is, I mean, you guys know that I've done and have an interest in, uh, sculptural carving, I guess, you know, mm -hmm. like bowls and spoons uh, I did that one welcome sign. I ended up giving that one to my sister. Uh, but that kind of stuff, to be able to do that with skill, again, would be kind of fun to do. See, I thought you would have put um, saw sharpening in there. That's something we've talked about a lot. Yeah, I, <laughs> that's kind of funny. I don't know I would necessarily thought that as a skill or a technique, per se. I mean, it sure. is a skill okay, it's and enough. a technique. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I would, I would put that in there. I'd, okay. Yeah. I just would have expected that. Yeah. You know, I, uh, one of my goals for this year, like a new year's resolution was to be, to do more hand joinery. And there are some projects that I've actually done that more. And in doing that, I realize there, as much as we can kind of poo poo it because, you know, we've put hand cut dovetails at the, top of the list for you know your woodworking jedi trials or whatever but um executing well done dados and rabbits and grooves by hand oh, is yeah. a skill all on its own too oh, and yeah. it's not to be not to be overlooked you know when you when you said executing and you're talking about Jedi, I thought we were talking about executing the younglings. <laughs> so that's or where that was 66. going. Or yep. 66 I was a little worried. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. No. This is it's more like it's very easy to overlook that kind of joinery, you know, yeah. like you know, like playing the jets or something like that. Or... <laughs> oh hey, we just shut them out, Phil. <laughs> Uh, all right, John. What's your what's your skill that you would like to pick up before uh, you die? I would have said I would have said the hand cut uh, joinery as well, but that's okay. got to be sometime when I have a lot more time on my hands than <laughs> a lot less kids in the house. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yep. I need a lot more time. So hopefully, I have a lot more time to learn that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it's not going to happen anytime soon. But so. Yeah. Yeah. You know, mine, mine is like, I, you guys know I've been doing a lot of turning. Um, and I've talked about that before. I feel like as I am turning something, I know what shape I want to get. Right. And I know, I know how to get there, but it takes me a lot of time to get there. <laughs> like, I can visualize, I think I can visualize what I want and what's going to look good um, because there's a lot of, you know, it's, and it's funny because I was always under the mentality, you know, like, Hey, you got this big turning blank. You better use all the turning blank, right? Like it's, 
the big you have a big bowl blank make a big bowl that's that's not necessarily the best thing to do like visually it might not look the best like maybe right. that bowl instead of need, being 10 inches tall needs to be six inches tall maybe you have to hog a lot of that material off and just turn it into ribbons on the floor uh to yeah. get a more visually appealing bowl yeah. and i think i've gotten past that hurdle uh in my in my turning uh that i understand that some of it's just gonna go away that's fine um I guess the skill I would like to pick up and get to is where I can uh, look at a piece of turning blank and say, I see the shape that I want it to be, and I know how to um, efficiently get there. Sure. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, well, instead of the just same kind of thing of competence and confidence. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, like I, you know, and, I've I've been doing some turning this week, and I'll, I'll show one of the bowls here in a little bit. But um, being able to put the tool, present the tool how it needs to be presented, and I can do that um, 99% of the time uh, and make the cuts that I want to make uh, with, yeah, with confidence and knowing that, hey, you know what? I'm not going to have to start at 80 grit when I start sanding. Because <laughs> <laughs> I hate sanding. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, I guess, I guess that would be mine. It would be, you know, I want to become a turning Jedi. Okay. I don't know what that means, but. On, uh, on a related note, you know, so going back to tools to make one tool yeah. that I would love to make, but I know that I would never really use would be uh, Roy Underhill spring pole lathe. Yep, and I knew that's exactly what you're gonna say because we've talked about this before. Because yep. it just looks like a super fun tool to make, like to be to get done with it and be like, "Hey, guess what this thing does?" <laughs> boing boing to, boing boing. <laughs> to mess around with it, and you know, you know, because I have a thing for hand-powered tools. You know, I have a yeah. uh, obviously like hand saws and planes and whatever, but you know, like most of my drilling. If I'm not using my drill press, I have a brace or an egg beater drill or yeah. my hand cranked grinder. You yeah. know, it's just there's a fun, I don't know. Maybe I watched too much Gilligan's Island as a kid or something, but Yeah. You know, that's funny because that is so before I started working at Woodsmith, um, and before we owned popular woodworking, that's one of the popular woodworking issues that I saved when I yeah. got it, uh, was that the, his spring pole lathe. Yeah. Uh, cause I'm like, this is, it looks super simple to build. Right. It's built out of like two by sixes basically. Two by, yeah. And it's like, that would be such a freaking blast. And that was before I knew I was going to be interested in turning huge stuff. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> I need yeah. John over here pedaling it as I'm turning it, like, <laughs> you know, or jumping on the, on the foot pedal. But yeah, it's that would be a fun one. I agree with you on that. And it would be fun just to try it, because I've never tried a spring pole lathe. Um, I've used a treadle lathe before. Yeah. But never a spring pole, which I think would be interesting, because you can only make cuts half the time. Yeah. Right? Because it, it comes at you, and then it goes away, and you can't cut as it's going away from away. you. So. Yeah. So there's a there's a rhythm that you get in there to making, mm -hmm. to making cuts. I saw... A video on YouTube years ago. Uh, it was at some kind of a craft show, art show, or something like that, where there were two different bowl turners, and one guy was turning bowls on a treadle lathe, and another guy had a little midi lathe yep. doing it. And then they, at the end of it, they did a competition on who could turn a bowl faster. <laughs> and the guy on the spring pole lathe actually did. He did it faster. Really. Yeah. Interesting. So you'll have to have to Google hmm. that one. But it was kind of a, a fun thing. I think just, you know, knowing that and that was one of those things, seeing it, there's two reasons that I that I wanted to do it. One is uh, Roy at his school in North Carolina was offering that and still does offer that as a class when yes. when people do classes. Um, and I thought once in my life, you know, it'd be fun to take a class with Roy just for yeah. the probably 90% of the entertainment value there. Yep. Um, and then two, to just learn from somebody else, you know? Yeah. 
Um, but then if you had a spring pole lathe, it's not like you have it like that one. There's not a lot of money invested in it for, mm. you know, you can build one of those for way less than you can buy even a small lathe. Oh yeah. So that oh, if yeah. I'm not, if I'm not using it, it's really only taking up space. I didn't really throw a lot of money away in it. So. Yeah. Well, you know, what I think would be kind of cool about that is like even a little lathe, it's pretty loud when you're turning. Like you have the motor, the belts, yeah. but then you put a tool on the wood and it's going, zzz, zzz. I mean, it's yeah. kind of loud. I can't do that when my kids are sleeping. I think a spring pole lathe, I might be able to. See? Yeah. It should be like somebody sitting downstairs in a squeaky rocking chair. <laughs> like that cadence, right? Like, wink, right. wink, <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. So I'm going to start the process of talking about projects. Okay. In that, um, I don't know, remember if I've shared this or not, but uh, Mr. Chris Fitch in an upcoming issue is designing a series of carving knives, curved blades. So I got a special set of prototype left-handed knives because we're probably not going to show left-handed <laughs> knives in the magazine because we hate left-handed people apparently. Mm-hmm. So Chris made deniers. me the left-handed yeah. deniers. Yeah. So he made me yeah. two different curvatures of a left-handed one and then a double mm. bevel one. So uh, I've been trying to figure out because he made, you know, forged them out of tool steel and I needed a way to be able to sharpen that curved edge. And, and I was trying like sandpaper on a dowel and different slip stones that I have. And it just, I don't know. If you're not used to sharpening curved edges, curved edges can really mess with your head. So then I was, because we're working from home, I was doing something and remembered that I had gotten a cordless Dremel tool years ago. I think it was from an auction that we did at, at the magazine. And in it, they had, a, in there was a little aluminum oxide grinding wheel. It's probably five-eighths diameter, something like that. Um, so I always thought, you know, I'm just going to try it, see what happens. And with being variable speed, I used a Sharpie to color the bevel and just kind of went at it. And it was like five minutes later, had all three blades done, ready to move on to the, you know, the polishing, honing kind of step. So it was kind of a revelation to me. I realized for a lot of people, this is not going to be a revelation, but I was super excited (laughs) about it. So sometimes the obvious things can be exciting. Yeah. So So I'm much closer to making handles for it. So interesting. I mean, I'm just thinking about the, the process because grinders aren't necessarily something or a Dremel tools isn't necessarily my first thing that pops in my head when I'm thinking of, about sharpening something. Right. Uh, Other than like though, a mower blade or something. Yeah. I mean, and, and guys do chainsaw blades with them and stuff like that, like chainsaw chains. Um, did you notice any difference? Because I'm guessing you probably made the the drama, the, the bit, right? Yeah follow the curvature where yeah. traditionally you'd have that the rotation going either towards or away from the blade yeah with this one it's going perpendicular right yeah parallel to the length of the blade per- yeah. perpendicular yes. to the cutting edge yeah yes uh did you yeah. notice any difference when you were doing that no and i've uh you know i've heard that too from you know people you know because there's a couple of sharpening methods for like chisels and plane blades where the abrasive moves that same direction, you know, like there's that M power diamond abrasive, whatever. And I've heard people say, well, you don't get the same kind of sharpening out of it, blah, blah, blah. And I didn't really feel, uh, I, I don't know if it's just the fineness of the grit on this particular wheel, but you know, I didn't get a huge, wire edge develop on there but i was able i went until i could feel a wire edge Um, okay one thing that was kind of nice with that same motion where the you know where i'm following it along is and then darkening the bevel with a um 
Sharpie is that you can see, you know, when as soon as you touch the the wheel onto the knife, you can see where, you know, whether you need to adjust your angle or hand position or something like that. So I could see, and then once I got a feel for it, I could just basically roll that grinding wheel up and down the whole length of the blade, knowing that I was able to keep that relatively consistent. And also knowing that, you know, I'm going to go through probably two or three other grits or phases before I get to where I'm at my sharp, sharp edge. So Sure. So, what, so what's your next? Are you going back to the sandpaper on a dowel? Uh, either that or I have some diamond paste mm-hmm. on a dowel that I might do. That might be a little easier for me to feel that edge. But, you know, like my... Um, my, you know, my carving gouges that I have, the round ones, yeah. I usually do that in a side-to-side motion, too. Sure. Just because, to me, um, and I do it with smaller abrasives, because to me, I can, I can see what I'm doing, and I can feel that rocking action on there and see and follow my progress a lot sure. better. Okay. So, so, anyway. What about the super secret not spoken about Christmas present? Uh, I got, I'm almost done with assembly on it. And this weekend I'll be able to start the final finishing and painting on it. So. Okay. Yeah. Excited to see it. Yeah. After we're done here, I'll show you what I got so far. How about you guys? Oh, well, it's been kind of cold. So I haven't been in the shop as much the past week. So. I have a couple odds and ends projects that I've started, but they're not much more than piles of lumber that I have, <laughs> like a lot of little, like tiny project piles. So I'm good at that. But I, yeah. um, we were talking about finishing earlier, so I was going to pose a question to you guys. Uh, I was working on that bookcase um, a couple weeks ago that I got finished, and I noticed. Um, it was made out of pine where the knots are in the pine is starting to telegraph like yellow through sure. the, like paper. It bleeds it. So what yeah. I, yeah, what I, it, um, it was pine. It did that carbon black stain from old masters. I think I let it dry a couple of days and I did a coat of lacquer and then antique white paint, let that dry, sanded, sanded through for distressing and antiquing. And then covered that with lacquer. So I was surprised to see the knots telegraph through yellow like that through all those layers. So I don't know, you just think that's just the nature of pine or? Yeah, that's a, the nature of those knots is because they just have so much pitch in them mm-hmm. that um, it takes the knot such a long time to, I don't know if dry out is the right word or whatever. Seep. Right? seep a little yeah. bit we were kind of talking about this last week on the uh, vegan woodworking episode mm-hmm. but um you know one thing i think christian bexford i heard say it the first time is that raising the temperature of the pine up to like 140 or 150 will set the pitch and basically mm-hmm. harden it yeah either that or you have to and for whatever reason because shellac is not a super durable finish but shellac seals so well that if you were to just brush a coat of shellac, coat or two of shellac over even just the knots, yeah. that helps and there's, too. There's actually a, a primer company that also sells a primer that they sell as um, like stain blocking like that. Right. Um, yeah. Which I think is kills. Kills. Kills or zinser. Yeah. Even the people who yeah. do the shellac will have a shellac-based yeah. primer. Yep. And. And I've heard that that will stop the the bleed through because I mean, like you said, Phil, it's a lot of those softwoods, like any knots in softwoods, will do that for some reason. And yeah, and most kilns will hit that pitch setting temperature. So I don't know why it does that. I mean, yeah, and I don't know that necessarily. Yeah, I mean, I I know that pine is kiln dried, but I don't know that it's that kiln dried necessarily. No. But yeah, interesting. Yeah, I just thought, I mean, it doesn't matter because it's a, you know, 
antique distressed finish and most of those knots are on the inside of the bookcase that are going to get covered up anyways i just thought that was interesting that like all of those coats of finishes that i did and it's still kind of telegraphed through so yeah yeah oh yeah interesting so cool yeah so well this weekend i was uh i did not run the sawmill at all this weekend um did that so weird it felt odd it felt relaxing like I, I told my wife, I was like, wow, my body's recovered, <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, but what I did do on Saturday was I went and helped a, a friend um, whose land we, we deer hunt with uh, in December. Um, uh, the storm that hit kind of, it didn't really decimate his timber. And he has about 300 acres of timber. No, 300 acres, about half of its timber. Uh, but it definitely knocked down some trees which was really interesting. Um, most of the trees that, that derecho took down were hickory trees, shagbark hickory trees. Um, there was occasional white oaks um, and there was occasional cherries um, that were hollow uh, that it took down. Um, so I saved a cherry log and I'm gonna save a couple white oak logs, I think, um, from Fred's place. Um, but one of the trees that we uh, took down, so him and his wife had already basically grabbed the tractor and pulled a bunch of these down trees out to where we could uh, cut them into firewood. Um, but there was one very large shagbark hickory that was still there. Uh, so I, it was on the ground. It was kind of hanging, you know, five or six feet off the ground still. Uh, but I ended up cutting it uh, so we could drag it out. And it was 27 feet long of trunk. The small end of the trunk was like 26 inches the big end of the 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 butt where I cut the root ball off was like 32 inches. I mean, this was wow. just a huge, huge shagbark hickory. Uh, so we started cutting it into firewood, or I started cutting it into rounds that they could split. Uh, but I did grab a couple of big blocks. So I, I thought it would be kind of cool to make Fred and his wife uh, some bowls out of this mm. huge shagbark hickory. So I... If you guys are watching on YouTube, here's one of the um, rough turned hickory bowls. Uh, it's right now oh, coated cool. in, yeah, it's rough coated in uh, uh, tight bond two glue that was ancient and in the shop. Uh, so I was using up some of that super globby glue that doesn't come out of the bottle anymore to seal it. Um, but yeah, so this one's about uh, 16 inches in diameter. Yeah, some sapwood and heartwood there. Um, so this is right now rough turned. I rough turned two of these. Uh, the other one's a little bit taller. It's about the same diameter. Um, but God, that hickory for hickory being so extremely hard, it turned beautifully. I mean, it, it turned green beautifully. And I don't know. Uh, I think Dylan saw me in the shop when I was turning these. I had a pile of shavings up to my knees. I mean, it was ridiculous. Um, but yeah, it was just super fun to to throw a couple big bowl blanks on there, rough turn them. And I'm going to experiment with these. Uh, and I've kind of told Phil what I'm going to do with these. But uh, uh, so I have this guy turned down to about 10% diameter. So it's about an inch and a half thick. Um, and usually what you would do is you'd let this dry, right? So let this bowl finish drying um, because it was green. I mean, it was soaking wet when I turned it. Usually that's like stuffing it in a box full of shavings or in a paper bag or whatever, or just painting it uh, with some sealer and letting it shelf dry. But they can take like a year, right? I mean, that's like, that's, it, it takes quite a while uh, for this to dry. So I've been experimenting a little bit with some silica gel. And I always say this word wrong, but it's desiccant gel, right? So it's like the stuff you get in bags of beef jerky that says do not consume. Uh, it's the little pellets that's made to soak moisture out. And I guess guys turn bowls and just wood stuff in general, and they can you can stick it in this desiccant gel, and it will just suck the moisture out like that. Um, so from what my understanding is, is that a bowl this size, right, should take about two days to dry, which will be insane if it actually works. UPS is supposed to be at my house anytime with my other two gallons of desiccant gel. Uh, so right now I have one gallon that I used to dry some cherry blanks and it worked beautifully. Um, I'm going to try it with this. I'm going to, I'm going to go out to Menards and grab a, a trash can and that will fit this. I'm going to fill the bottom with desiccant gel, put the bowl in, fill it up the rest of the way and let it sit for two days. Uh, I mean, 
the worst case scenario, it doesn't dry, right? I mean, it's going to do something. Right. Um, but supposedly, the can you hear the dog barking? UPS is here. UPS, right. <laughs> I know. Uh, but supposedly, the desiccant gel not only super dries the wood quickly, it also dries it without checking and without warping. Because That's it's... the crazy part to me, because I feel like, you know, people talk about, you know, well, you can just put it in a kiln and different kilns can get to different temperatures and dry it super fast. Yeah. But when that happens, you get like case hardening or it's splitting or whatever. But supposedly most of those, and, and I know this from my experience as well, a lot of those like drying issues you can get, like checking or warping or case hardening all happens because moisture leaves the wood at different rates, right? Mm. So the end grain will evacuate moisture very quickly. So that's why you get end checking. Um, or uh, case hardening is actually the outside of the wood drying before the inside. So the moisture basically gets locked in, right? Yeah. But supposedly the desiccant gel just, it removes moisture so evenly that you don't have any of those issues. This is all this is all based on my extensive, extremely reliable fact checked internet searches. <laughs> right. right. So so we'll see what actually happens when I when I try it. But it's gonna be interesting because I got a couple of bowls this size. Um I have uh, the cherry one we turned for video edition a couple of weeks ago. Um I'm gonna throw that one in there. I mean, heck, why not? Let's just super dry all these bowls and see what happens. So uh, I'm a little concerned about this bowl just because I, I like the shape a lot. I think I'm going to do like a uh, beaded texture on the outside. So it'll kind of look like a honey, uh, like a beehive texture sure. kind of. Um, but I have a really big crack in it that goes basically from one edge over here over to here. So it looks like I'm going to lose a huge section of rim when I go to put it back on. I've been sitting here um, during our podcast, feeding it super glue into that crack and it just keeps sucking more and more. So I'm hoping I can fortify it enough that it's not going to come apart on me, but fly apart. Yeah, but we'll see. Yeah. That's the best part of it. It's just finding out. Yeah. yeah. So then I, I did apply the first coat of paint to my second bench vice stand this oh, morning. Nice. So, yep. So I'm looking forward to getting that second stand in here for my buffer uh, wire wheel. And then I can maybe get my shop put back together because this is giving me anxiety sitting in here with all this. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. So, Well, that about does it for another episode of the shop notes podcast. You'd like to send us any of your comments, questions, or smart remarks. We'd love to hear them. Some we'll read on the air as appropriate. You can send us those at our YouTube channel or on the Facebooks for Woodsmith Magazine. Uh, you can also email us, woodsmith at woodsmith.com. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you again next week. Bye, everybody. This episode of Shop Notes Podcast is brought to you by Woodsmith Plans. You'll find nearly a thousand plans covering everything that you'd want to build. From furniture projects to gift projects, kitchen accessories, workshop projects and jigs and more. Find your next project at woodsmithplans.com.